0: Our uh, lead character today in our story was an expert fault finder. That's really what he was. He could find fault with a people group, and this people group that God wanted to reach, what got in the way was he kept finding fault. And so... I want to talk about this professional fault finder. Anybody in the room know a professional fault finder? Don't raise your hand. Any, anybody in the room a professional fault finder? Do not raise your hand. Um, I want to talk about fault finding today for just a couple of minutes because, you know, we're... we're, we're In fact, we're just coming back from family. And by the way, how'd that go? Did everybody survive with family? Every family has crazies in it, right? There's crazies in your family. If you don't think there's any crazies in your family, you're the crazy one. Just want you to know that, okay? You just need to be aware of that. But every family's got fault finders, right? People find fault. I mean, our country, um, you watch TV at night, depending on what news channel, the Republicans are finding fault with the Democrats, Democrats are finding fault with Republicans. Okay, now I've just made everybody mad in the room. We can go on. Uh, you watch sports, right? You watch sports and until about three weeks ago, uh, everybody was finding fault with the Bucks. We found fault with Josh Freeman, so we traded him. We had fault with the coach. He survived fault with the offensive line the last three weeks. By the way, did you, notice, did you notice how after Dr. Ben Lerner was here and he went and spoke to the Bucs, they've won three games in a row. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, now it's a coincidence maybe, but this godly doctor went and kind of got, got them all fired up. I don't know. Did you notice how when we took the devil out of devil rays, we started winning? Coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. But we're good at finding fault. I guess I just found fault with her name, didn't I, <laughs> a few years ago. Um, you know, when a marriage, when one spouse in a marriage begins to find fault, most conversations don't end well. And when both spouses are finding fault... The marriage usually ends, doesn't it? In a home, with a home with, you know, parents and kids going at it, it makes for a very unhappy home. And what happens in a workplace when everybody's going like this and pointing their fingers at each other and nobody's really taking responsibility for, for their own uh, efforts? Uh, it makes for a very unhealthy work environment. And so we're, we're good at finding fault, and the problem... The problem with finding fault is you miss opportunities. You see in our story today, Simon Peter was such a fault finder that he was missing the opportunities that God had right in front of him and God wanted to bring about change. Our message this morning today is all about change today. God God wanted to reach a brand new people group There's a whole new people group that, quite frankly, up to this time, had not been very interested in a relationship with God. But now there's a whole people group that are very interested, and God wants to use Simon Peter, and Simon Peter had been trained to find fault with this group of people, and he just about missed the opportunity. You see, when you and I find fault, we won't see our opportunities, When we're so busy pointing out other people's faults, we won't recognize how God is trying to work in a particular area. So if you want to, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning if you want to turn there. In Acts chapter 10, uh, our other lead character is a guy by the name of Cornelius. And this is what's so interesting about this story to me is you've got Simon Peter who is is filled with the Holy Spirit and he is a Christian and he is finding fault and misses an opportunity. And you have another man, Cornelius, who's not yet a Christian and he does not have the Holy Spirit inside of him and he is wide open for change. He is wide open for God to work in his life. I find this a very fascinating story. So let's start with Acts chapter 10 and we're gonna look at verse one, start with verse one and two. Acts 10, verse one and two. Our city is Caesarea. It's kind of the capital of where the Romans had kind of set up camp. There was a man named Cornelius as centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. In other words, he was a captain. Just remember that. It's easy to remember, He was a, say captain. Yeah. He was a captain in the Roman army. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. All that means is they weren't polytheistic. Devout and God-fearing just means they were following a one God. And so they weren't Jews, but they were following the Jewish God Yahweh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. So this was kind of unique. that here you've got a Roman captain who's not following the polytheistic religions of Rome, but he's actually dialed in to Jehovah, Yahweh. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed. He prayed to God regularly. Look at the next verses of Scripture, verses 3 through 6. So here's the story. One day at 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. This is Cornelius. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What would you do if an angel came to you? Would you freak out? Perhaps I would too. What is it, Lord? He asked He asked, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. In other words, you've caught God's attention. God's about to do something to the whole race of the Gentiles, and he's going to use you. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Look at verse seven and eight with me if you would. When the angel spoke to him and gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened to him and he sent them then on their way to Joppa. Now they're gonna go to Joppa and Peter is not ready for this. Peter is not gonna handle this well. In fact, Peter's very, very judgmental against all the Gentile people. Which I think is kind of interesting today, the statistics. You take 16 to 29 year olds in this country, but young people between 16 and 29 years of age believe that we as believers, 90%, they think 90% of us are far more judgmental than we should be. So 90% of 16 to 29 year olds believe that as Christians, we're just a bunch of judgmental people and not open to, 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 to new things of God. That's just what they think. Well, here's what happens. Look at the next verses of Scripture. Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 16. About noon, as they were on their journey, now this is the men from Caesarea, from uh, Cornelius' house, They approach the city. Peter goes up on the roof to pray. Now, are you following this? You got two simultaneous things going on. You got an angel coming over here to Cornelius' house and say, Cornelius, send some of your dudes over here to Joppa to get a hold of Peter. Now, here's the story that takes place over here with Peter. Peter's up on the roof. He's praying. He becomes hungry, and he wants something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kind of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then Peter hears this voice, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Go to verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. Are you following this? This is a great, gotta follow this. They called out and they asked if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, he's up on the roof praying, remember? He's up on the roof praying. While he's up there praying, the spirit told him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? And verse 22 says this. The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people, a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that that he could hear what you have to say. Now, at this point, Peter's like, what is going on here? I got this vision about eating some impure, some unclean food. I'm a good Jewish kosher boy. I don't eat unclean foods. And now these men have shown up at my door. The Spirit's telling me to go with them. And Peter's asking them, what is it? What is it you want from me? Peter is so enamored by his culture that he cannot see that change is in the air. This is a whole message series about change. Don't like it, but need it. Peter wasn't willing to make some adjustments. Look at the next verses of scripture. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. So now Peter takes off Peter goes with these guys, and they go back to Cornelius' house. The following day, Peter arrives in Cornelius. I'm mean, Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. Verse 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, and he fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I myself am only a man. While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, may I ask why you have sent for me? Now just think about this, Cornelius is praying and Cornelius has a vision to call for Peter to come and Peter comes and Peter gets there and the house is like full of seekers. Cornelius has called all his relatives and close friends. Cornelius is asking for Peter to come and to do something great. And Peter says, now why have you guys sent for me? Can somebody tell me like really why I am here? Why did you send for me? Peter, what do you think? Why why do you think you've been sent? First of all, you've had a vision. You've had two men at your door. You've had this amazing journey, and now when you get there, the house is full of people who are asking to understand about, about God. God is about to do something. And Peter, I think, is so blinded with his own prejudice that he cannot see what God is trying to do right there in front of him. Now, let's, th- let's ask ourselves this question. Now, how does this happen? H- how does somebody like Simon Peter, who was there when Jesus said, guys, I want you to go out into all the world. I want you to go to all the world, and I want you to teach, and I want you to baptize, and I want you to help everybody understand that I'm the Lord and Savior, master of the universe. Peter was there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. And when this gift shows up, you will have power to be my witnesses to the entire world. And Peter was there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, there were tongues of fire that rested on each one of those guys in that upper room. And they began speaking in other languages. And there were 15 of the largest Jewish nations all represented in Jerusalem at that time. And they all heard the guys speaking their own native language. And that day, 3,000 people became Christians. And that day, the church got started. Peter... Peter, you were there. You were there. You remember the persecution. You remember when Stephen got stoned. You remember when a guy named Saul of Tarsus began to wreak havoc and to destroy the church. And you remember when God Almighty knocked Saul off his horse on a blinding light on the road to Damascus. And he became a Christian. And you remember, Peter, how the gospel then went to Samaria And the Samaritans then started becoming Christians right and left. And the Samaritans weren't Jews. The Samaritans weren't Gentiles. The Samaritans were were basically a mixed race. And Peter, you were there. And so now in this story, how is it? How is it that Peter misses this? How is it that Peter all his life has been taught to find fault with this group of people? How did he miss this? His whole mantra was to preach the gospel. His whole mantra was to go into all the world and help people become Christians, to give their lives to Christ. How in the world did you forget Genesis chapter 4 verse 26, which says, and men at that point began to call upon the name of the Lord. Did you forget about what God did with Abraham? And God told Abraham to go leave your your land and go to a separate land and I will build a great nation. Do you remember what he did through Moses, Peter? How Moses was the great deliverer. And just fast forward through the kings and through the prophets and all the way to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, look, I can't even untie the guy's shoes, but there's gonna be a guy who's coming who will baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And remember the teachings of Jesus, Peter? How Jesus went into all the world and said, I didn't come for the sick. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And yet Peter, I think, is so steeped in his own prejudice that he forgets the reason that God has called him to take the gospel to the entire world because he's prejudiced. He's learned to find fault. And he's learned to find fault with the very people now that God is trying to reach. And so Peter asks this question, now why did you send for me? Cornelius is there, the house is full of people. He's brought all his families and all his relatives to hear the gospel and Peter can't seem to even get the gospel out of his mouth. Now, how does that happen? Well. Peter's a good Jewish boy. and all his life, Peter's learned to find fault with the Gentiles. Because after all, the Gentiles don't act the way that the Jewish people do. And all his life, Peter's been taught to find fault with how the Gentiles eat and how the Gentiles prepare food and how the Gentiles wash their hands or don't wash their hands before a meal. All Peter's life, he's been taught that he's kosher and now he's got a vision from God with all these unclean animals on a sheet that's being lowered down from heaven telling me to rise, kill and eat? I don't think so. And then he wonders about the morality of the Gentiles. How in the world could I ever embrace the Gentiles? Their morality's not like ours. I mean, we got the 10 Commandments, we know how we're supposed to act in marriage. We know we're supposed, how we're supposed to act before we get married. We know how we're supposed to act. The Gentiles, their morality, man, they do all these things. And Peter says, I don't, I, don't enjoy, I don't embrace their morality. I don't embrace their manners. And so here's Peter scratching his head and God is getting ready to reach a people group who've never been interested before. But Peter's prejudice and Peter's fault finding was really putting the emergency brake on God being able to reach this amazing people group. Now, I wonder about you and me. I wonder about your ability to fault find. And I wonder about my own prejudices. And whenever I am a fault finder and you're a fault finder, we then lose our opportunities because we spend all our emotional capital finding fault with other people, not recognizing that maybe, just maybe, God put us in this family. Maybe, just maybe, God put us in this office. Maybe, just maybe, God put us in this neighborhood. Maybe, just maybe, God put us with this group. Maybe this is why God wants to reach a people group who've never been interested before. But because of our ability to get really good at finding fault with people who are so different than us, we miss the opportunities that are right there in front of us. And Peter asks this question. He's asking this whole group of people. Now tell me why you sent for me. I mean, this is all you've done, Peter. It's 10 years now. It's 10 years from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10. 10 years have gone by. And Peter's preached the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people. And tens and tens of thousands of Jewish people have responded and become Christians. And yet his own prejudice, he's scratching his head not recognizing that God Almighty was up to something. May, may I ask you, can somebody in the room tell me why you have sent for me? Where, where would you be prejudiced? <clears throat> Rich people, poor people. Educated people, uh, uneducated people. Where, where, where would you be prejudiced? people who come from a different socioeconomical group, people who come from a different country, people who come from a different neighborhood. Where where would you and I struggle to recognize that just maybe God is up to something and God is trying to reach a people group who may be interested for the very, very first time in their entire life? I, I, I don't... I don't think I really understood racism until Danae and I moved um, to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm a boy from Indiana and it's kind of funny even growing up in Indiana. In Indiana, we would hear these jokes about people from Kentucky. And so people from Indiana got really good at telling jokes about, hey, did you hear the story about the three Kentuckians? And I got all these jokes that I can never use, but I can remember, but I can't ever use them in church because you wouldn't dare use these jokes in church. But people from Indiana began making fun of people from Kentucky. <clears throat> I moved to Kentucky and I go to graduate school in Louis- at, at Southern Baptist Seminary. And I find some of the most brilliant, brightest minds I've ever been around. And they're, they're born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm in Kentucky, and I began to hear jokes and stories about people from Tennessee. And, hey, did you hear the story about the two Tennesseans? That didn't? Yeah, I probably have. I've heard that story, that joke before. And, and I'm like, why do all these people make fun of each other? Why, why, do all, why do people from Indiana make fun of people from Kentucky? Why do people from Kentucky make fun of people from, from Tennessee? Why do people from Tennessee make fun of people from West Virginia? Well, why, why do we do that? As I said, I didn't understand racism until we moved to Memphis, Growing up in Indiana, I didn't care on our baseball team if the kid was Hispanic, could he pitch? I didn't care if the guy was black on my college basketball team, could he play hoops? I mean, I, I, I go to Memphis, Tennessee, everything's a racial issue in Memphis, Tennessee. I never understood racism, never understood that until we got into that incredible city. The most segregated hour in Memphis, Tennessee is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning too, by the way. And so when you think about your life, where is it that God has placed you? Who are the people that God's placed you around? And maybe, just maybe, God has sent you to that environment, to that culture, so that you could do exactly what Simon Peter's going to do. Share the message with a group of people who are desperately, deeply needing to hear the gospel. Well, in Cornelius' house, Peter's there. He starts off the sermon the wrong way. You never start off a sermon with an apology. He starts off by saying, by the way, you realize it's wrong for me as a Jew to ever associate with you as a Gentile. You never start off with a message that way, with an apology. So he starts off kind of on the wrong foot. But then finally, he kind of picks up speed and says, okay... I realize that now what God's called, you know, what I think is unclean. God's not not said that. So I guess I'm here to share the gospel with you. Now, how does that happen? How did Peter miss this? It's the whole reason for Peter's existence. He's there to share with them the truth. But 10 years have gone by, and maybe he's gotten lazy. 10 years have gone by. Maybe he's lost his edge. 10 years have gone by, maybe he's gotten distracted. I don't know. But I do know this. Every one of us in this room, we've been called by God to do a mission. And every one of us in this room, we are to use everything that we have to help build the kingdom of God. I know that every one of us in this room, we're not to get lazy, we're not to get tired, we're not to lose our focus. And by the way, by the way, I think even as Americans, this is hard for us because we kind of keep praying that God will get in on our deal. God, will you partner with me? God, will you come in and get on my deal? And there's a very real sense in where God wants to do that and God is willing to do that, but God's not up there in heaven saying, oh, I can't wait to partner with you. I can't wait, you know, I can't wait to get on your deal. It's just the opposite. God's up in heaven asking, when will you get on my wagon? When will you join my train? When will you come around me? When will you be sold out for me? And you recognize that, that, that I then When you go all out, I will go all in with you. And when you and I go all out, he gets all in on all the things that we're doing and people become Christians, lives change, everything becomes much, much better. You've heard me tell a couple stories from this lawyer. This is the guy named Bob Goff, and he's he's got a book called Love Does, and this was the the lawyer that sat outside the law school, just kept telling the professor, you know, go buy your books, go buy your books. Remember that story about a month ago? This is the guy, the attorney. In this book, toward the very end of it, he tells about his philosophy of work. And he says, every day as a lawyer, and he's a lawyer that sues people for skyscrapers and for buildings and foundation issues. So he's one of those kind of lawyers. So he said, every day when I go to work, he said, I realize that it's my day job. And every time I do a a deposition on a bad guy, he said, I am fundraising. Fundraising. And he said, I make more money fundraising. I'm fundraising for the kingdom of God. And he said, I, he, starts, he started an orphanage in, in Uganda. He does all kinds of really cool things for children all over the world. But his point is, he goes to work recognizing that at work he's making money to fund things for the kingdom of God. Do you see how your life is so much bigger than just eating and drinking and paying the mortgage and playing around the golf? I wouldn't use fishing because I I, I love to fish. I wouldn't use that in illustration. Fishing is biblical. Golf is not in the Bible, by the way. (laughs) fishing's in the Bible. But do you see how your life is so much bigger than that? That everything you are, God wants to leverage everything you've learned, every relationship. God wants to leverage everything that you are for his kingdom. He wants to leverage every one of your relationships so I'm convinced that God has placed you and me in a family for a reason. And if we find fault with everybody, we'll never have the opportunity to reach those people for Christ. I'm convinced God's placed you in a neighborhood or an apartment complex. But if you find fault with everybody in the neighborhood, everybody in the apartment complex, you'll never have the energy to reach them. You won't be praying for them. You'll be talking about them i 'm convinced god 's got you at work wherever you 're working today. you may not like your job, but you 're fundraising it 's a day job it 's a day job for you to have leverage to be for the but he 's placed you where you are so that you can pray for the people you can share Christ with the people you can invite them to church i 'm convinced that god there 's no coincidences every opportunity that you have is a divine opportunity from your heavenly Father. Well, he finally gets it. Look at Acts chapter 10. He finally gets it. And Peter begins to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts people from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. See, he says, I now realize it. Finally, I think I'm getting it. God wants to reach the Gentiles. I think I now get this. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, annoying the good news, now he's going to share Christ. He's going to share Christ with the Gentiles. The good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, who is now Lord of all. And this is what we do. This is what you and I do then with people. You and I help people in our family. You and I help people in our neighborhoods. You and I help people in our apartment complexes and and our work environments. We help them to understand that maybe for a long time you've not been interested in the gospel. Maybe for a long time you've not been interested in the things of God. But we help people to see that God is reaching them and changing them and transforming them. And you know what's really cool about this is the enrollment's open. The enrollment in God's church is always open. In so many different environments that you and I have, enrollment's closed. There's only so many people who can get into nursing school. When I was in graduate school, 800 of us got in. 800 did not get in. On an airplane, there's only so many people that can get on an airplane. If you're riding somewhere for Thanksgiving, only so many people can fit in a car. Enrollment is closed in almost every capacity of life. Almost every illustration you and I can think of, the enrollment's closed, but not in the kingdom of God. The enrollment is open. And so this is what we do. We help people with open enrollment. Let's look at these last couple of verses of scripture here as well. All the prophets, they testify about him, that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Through, I mean, Peter finally gets it. Peter finally gets on board with what God's doing. He's preaching this. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And look at verse, the last verse, verse 48 says this. So we order they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So we ordered they be baptized. This is a great story for me. I see this as a great story where God wants to reach a whole lot of people and he did. So the challenge this morning, who are the people in your life? Who are the people in your life that need your prayers the most but you've been actually fault finding against them the greatest? I want to ask us together this morning just to have a prayer and to ask God to forgive you and to ask God to help you to see your opportunities. You see, if you're always fault-finding, you will miss, you will miss your opportunities. So I'm gonna ask us right now, we're gonna do a couple of things, but right now I'm gonna ask you if you would, Father, forgive me. I've been griping and complaining and fault-finding and I haven't been praying for him or praying for her. I just wanna ask you right now, if you would, to confess this to God and ask him to open up the opportunities right now that are before you. Lord Jesus, the fields are wide to the harvest. There are people all around us who need Christ. Lord I don't know where we came up with this fault finding as some kind of a spiritual gift that some people think they have it's not a spiritual gift it's not from you you were open to Cornelius and his whole household to become Christians you were open to all the Gentiles and thank goodness you were because most of us in this room are Gentiles thank goodness you were merciful and graceful to all of us in this room father let us change we don't like it but boy do we need it help us to change and help us to grow so that we can see that you've given us a job and a neighborhood and a family and a community an apartment and a house wherever whatever to all leverage those things for your kingdom and lord for us to then to join your train and get on board with your bus and then as we go all out Go all in, you go all out with us. And people like Cornelius and all of his household, they become Christians. God, all of us in this room have got lots of people that we work with and around us that need Christ, that need to change. In Jesus' name. Well, I want to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And every Lord's Day, I just really want to give you the chance to give your life to Christ. He takes us just as we are, just as I am. But, oh, does he transform us and change us forever? So if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to encourage you and invite you to be able to do that today. But again, as the prayer partners are down here, maybe this is, again, another one of those mornings where you'd like to ask for special prayer. Maybe you struggle with this. Maybe this is a thing that you've missed a lot of opportunities, and you want to pray for the people around you your work or your home or your family where you can make a difference. I encourage you to come to be prayed for and to be prayed over. Let me pray and then I'll dismiss us. We thank you again that you love us so much, Jesus, and that you offer us the opportunity to have our sins washed away. May you touch us. May you grow us. May you change us by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you.